in the presence of the Lord and let's worship him in prayer. Father, we do adore you today. We adore your Son as our Savior. We adore the Holy Spirit as our comforter and guide. We adore you, Lord, today by opening your word and worshiping as you speak to us. And so uh, thank you now for your glorious presence with us. Thank you that the angels are here and they long to look into the things that you have done for us. And so it is with grateful and uh, humble hearts that we open your word and allow you to instruct and teach us and most of all, to change and transform us. We pray these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. Of all the poems that I studied in high school English literature class, there's only one that I remember. Maybe you're like me in that respect. But it's The Road Not Taken by Robert Frost. And I'm sure that as uh, I quote the first line, you can probably finish the last two words. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood. And on this walk, Robert Frost comes to a fork in the road and he knows he can only take one way. And so he decides to take the one that is less worn, the one that is less traveled. He tells himself that one day he'll come back and explore the other road, but he concludes that that really won't happen. As the poem concludes, it is very clear that Robert Frost is not talking about a walk in the woods. He's talking about choosing life's roads. And I want you to listen to how the poem ends. I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Now, whether Robert Frost knew this or not, he was emphasizing a major truth in Scripture. That truth is called the doctrine of the two ways. The doctrine of the two ways. And it is found all throughout the Bible. Uh, Jesus said, I am the way. Jesus said there is a narrow way and a broad way. In Deuteronomy, God sets two ways before his people, the way of blessing and the way of cursing. And in the book of Acts, the early Christians were called followers of the way. We see that repeatedly. Did you know all 150 Psalms, the largest section of chapters in the entire Bible, are introduced with the doctrine of the two ways? Psalm chapter 1. It's a major emphasis in the Psalms. This morning we are starting a series of messages in the Psalms. And I want us to look this morning at Psalm 1 as we learn together the two roads of Psalm 1. And what's involved in these two ways? Now, as I read uh, verses 1 to 6 of Psalm chapter 1, you are going to notice as you follow along in your Bibles, that we are confronted by four choices. Four choices confront us in this psalm. Now, we won't look at all four of them today. We will just get started with number one and two, but I want you to notice them 
as I read for you the Word of God this morning in your Bible, Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Would you notice the first choice with me that jumps out at us? It is we must choose between only two ways. We must choose between only two ways. Now, I don't need to tell you that we live in a pluralistic culture. You know that that is the truth. That is where America is today. And so most people in our culture would say there are many ways, there are many truths, and you choose the best one for you. When I was a teenager, I shoveled snow for an elderly man who lived on our street. And after I went away to college, I learned that he was dying. And so uh, I came home on a college break, and I wanted to share the gospel with him and his wife. And so I made an appointment. I will never forget what he said to me after I shared the gospel. He said, uh, the city of Rome, like many cities, had many roads that enabled you to get there. He said, heaven is like that. There are many roads, he said, to heaven. He said, the important thing is not the road you choose, but that we are all going in the same direction. That's the very first person who ever shared pluralism with me. It was the last time that I saw him alive. As far as I know, he died a pluralist. Pluralism says this, there's more than one or two ways uh, or two kinds of ultimate reality. In fact, all of these ultimate realities can be true and you choose the one that fits you. Psalm 1 is unbending. It is unbending. One person has called it the psalm of the opposites, and there are well-placed markers that are forceful and logical. Look at the markers. Verse 2 starts with but, that could mean instead. Verse 4 in the original text, not so, starts verse 4. And then the but in verse 4 also can mean instead. And then verse 5 says there's a very clear conclusion, therefore this is the result. Uh, Pastor Donald Williams explains this so well. Listen to what he says. For the Bible, life is a journey offering two roads. Regardless of how offensive this idea may be to the modern mind, it is either or rather than both and. And that is absolutely true. There are not many ways. There are only two. One is right. One is wrong. And so we must choose between two ways. 
Here's the second choice that confronts us in Psalm 1. We must choose between only two alternatives. We must choose between only two alternatives. Those alternatives are the world and the word. The world and the word. Every single one of us here today is listening to one of two influences, either the world or the word. Now, uh, when I was uh, a youth growing up, I was taught that worldliness was in things. And so, if you avoided certain things or certain places, you would not be worldly. But now, uh, I've come to understand that worldliness refers to a way of life. The Apostle John speaks about this in 1 John 2, verses 15 to 17. This is what he says. He says, Love not the world, either the things that are in the world... If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is of the world. And the world and all of its lusts is passing away. But the one who does the will of God will abide forever. We see that, by the way, in the summary here, verse 6. Verse 6 is a summary of the entire psalm, and you'll notice that there is the way of the righteous, and there is the way of the wicked. Uh, There's a man who's written some helpful Bible study aids. His name is Stephen Lang. And I want you to listen to how he explains this. Beliefs are not important in the Bible unless they result in a way of life, that is. For this reason, the New Testament refers several times to the life of faith in Christ as the way Christianity is not just a system of ideas, but a way of life. And there are only two influences of the way we live, the world or the word. That's very clear here in Psalm 1. Now, as we think about the world, there are three characters that the psalmist here tells us we need to be very careful about. Three characters we need to be on guard if we do not want the world to influence our lives. I've given them uh, some titles to help us understand these three characters, okay? Here's the first one. Mr. Secular, this is life ignoring God. Mr. Secular... This is life ignoring God. Notice he tells us that we are not to walk in the counsel of the wicked. Uh, This word wicked here could be meaning ungodly. That's the way the Amplified Bible translates it. It doesn't mean that this person only does wicked things. It may refer to people who might seem to us to be kind and even good neighbors, but they're ungodly. And here's the key to Mr. Secular. 
he's not in a covenant relationship with God, and because he's not in a covenant relationship with God, he has no regard for the spiritual dimensions of life. One of my professors called Mr. Secular here superficial. And I think that's a great word. This person lives on a very superficial level in life. We could also call them practical atheists. They may believe in God or even in Jesus, but they live for the world and they live for the things of the world. I'll never forget a friend of mine describing one of his best friends in this way. He said, the problem with Larry is he has no time for God. That's Mr. Secular. Life ignoring God. Notice the second character here that the psalmist says we are to be on guard about. Mr. Sinful. Mr. Sinful. That's life against God. Life against God. He says, don't stand in the way of sinners. Now, sinners here is a uh, very, very graphic, uh, picturesque word. It means to miss the mark. It means to move away from a standard. Now, all of us do this in our lives because of inbred sin. We all miss the standard from time to time. We know that. But here, there's a habitualness about it. There is a way about it. And so Mr. Sinful habitually offends God's standards. Uh, this would be a person who knows right from wrong, but they do what they want to do regardless without much of a conscience. I'll never forget when I was a youth pastor one day, um, I met one of my teens in my youth group who was skipping school. Although I didn't know it. I mean, I just thought he was out for a walk on a break. So I had no idea. Later in the afternoon, he called me on the phone and he apologized to me and told me that he was skipping school and he apologized, he said, because I felt I owed it to you. And I thought, is he calling me because he got caught? Is he sorry for what he's done? Or is he afraid the youth pastor is going to call his parents? And was he sorry that he got caught? Well, that's Mr. Sinful. Mr. Sinful does not want to get caught, but he doesn't care about the actual wrong that he does. And then there's a third person that the psalmist says we are to be very much on guard against. It's Mr. Sarcastic. This is life ridiculing God. You see, Mr. Secular is life ignoring God. Mr. Sinful is life against God. But Mr. Sarcastic is life ridiculing God. He says we're, we're not to sit in the seat of scoffers. Scoffers. 
Now, scoffers comes from a very interesting root that means to interpret or to translate. So you know what is true about the scoffers? They're big talkers. They're very proud people. They speak with great authority. And they show no respect for the object they're talking about. And they make fun of that object. Uh, you want to know what? I had some college professors who were like this. Anybody else would say yeah? Uh, I would sat in a class, had nothing to do with Christianity, and these professors would go out of their way to mock Christianity. And I would think, well, what does Spanish have to do with this? What does Spanish have to do with this? And here's what I always saw. They did not understand the truths they were talking about, and they were badly misinformed. And twice, when I followed them to their office and said, could we talk about what you said in class, I discovered they were not interested in learning facts. Not at all. Have you met these three characters? Mr. Secular, Mr. Sinful, and Mr. Sarcastic, have you met them? We will discover them all throughout the book of Psalms, and we meet them all throughout life. Now, the psalmist wants us to understand the influence they can have on our lives, and so as we think about them this morning, there are three lessons to be learned from them and how worldliness can ensnare us as we live in this world. And so the second thing I want to do in this message this morning is I want to bring these three applications to our life because if you're like me and you hear about worldliness, you want to understand how can I avoid this. Let me give to you the, uh, the two, three applications this morning, all right? Here's the first one. Worldliness starts with ideas which lead to a wrong lifestyle and a wrong community of friends. Worldliness starts with ideas that lead to a wrong lifestyle and a wrong community of friends. Did you notice in verse 1 that it starts with counsel? Counsel. Did you notice that? Counsel here refers to advice on morals, advice on ethics, advice on truth itself. And Mr. Secular, Mr. Sinful, and Mr. Sarcastic have lots of advice about right and wrong, don't they? They have lots of advice. They're on the internet. They're on TV talk shows. They're on the radio. They're on YouTube. And they talk, 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 right? They are constantly talking. 
And if we buy in to their advice, their counsel, it will lead, according to the psalmist, to their way, which is a lifestyle, and to a seat at their table, which is a community of friends. But it starts with ideas. Don't we see this, by the way, with the LGBTQ? Do we not? It often starts with ideas. And once you embrace the ideas, then the rest will follow. It very easily leads to a lifestyle and a community of friends. Don't we see this with Planned Parenthood? Once you accept the idea that the child in the womb is not a person, or that the mother has the right to choose, then all the rest will follow. And this is how worldliness works. It starts with ideas which lead to a wrong lifestyle and a wrong community of friends. Here's the second application this morning. Worldliness is progressive, starting casually, but leading to a deeper commitment. Worldliness is progressive. It starts casually, but it leads to a deeper commitment. You see that progression here in verse 1. Walking leads to standing. Standing leads to sitting. You can't miss this progression. There is an intensification that is going on in a person's life from casual walking to standing and listening to sitting and agreeing. My old Old Testament professor, Alan Ross, describes this so well. Listen to what he says. If people at first take their spiritual guidance from unbelievers instead of God, they will gradually begin living like the world and become more entangled in it. That is so true. If you adopt your guidance from this confused, pluralistic culture, you will find yourself eventually living more like the world and more entangled in it. It starts casually, but it leads to a deeper commitment. Finally, number three, here's the third application. Worldliness takes us in one direction, downhill. Worldliness takes us in one direction, downhill. Wicked, sinners, scoffers, does anyone think any good is going to come from this? This just sounds like it is going to end badly. Wicked, sinners, scoffers. That's going to end badly because it's all downhill away from God. 
And worldliness will always, if it continues to be embraced, lead us downhill. Recently, a very successful professor at Moody Bible Institute has announced that he is no longer a Christian. As shocking as that is, equally shocking, he posted on social media a shirtless picture of himself looking buff because apparently he's really into fitness. And you, you just scratch your head. He has a PhD in biblical studies. How do you go from that level of understanding where you are teaching Christian young people truth at a very high level to the place where you say, I'm no longer a Christian now and uh, I'm going to post some shirtless pictures of me on the internet looking buff. How do you get there? Gradually, right? Gradually. Counsel, way, seat, walking, standing, sitting. It's all downhill, and it is all gradual. So here's what we learn if these three characters get our ear. Mr. Secular, life-ignoring God. Mr. Sinful, life-against God. Mr. Sarcastic, life-ridiculing God. Three things will happen if they get our ear. Worldliness starts with ideas which leads to a wrong lifestyle and a wrong community of friends. Worldliness starts casually, but it leads to deeper commitment. And worldliness will always lead in one direction, downhill. Did you notice in the psalm there's only one antidote to this? You would say to us today, well, what are the antidotes to this? Did you notice there's one antidote? It's the Word. It's the Word. The person on the other path in verse 2 delights in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. There's one antidote, and that antidote is the Word. And why is the Word the one antidote? It's because the Word reverses all of that. You see, once you begin to embrace the Word as your guide in life, you will no longer delight in being Mr. Secular, Mr. Sinful, or Mr. Sarcastic. Your whole value system and life will be changed and redirected, and that is the antidote to the influence of the world. Now next Sunday, we'll pick up with this. 
And we'll look at the other choices that we are faced with in Psalm 1. But let's take a moment, shall we, and bow our heads and ask the Lord to direct us. As her head are bowed and her eyes are closed, I want to ask, which path are you on? Which path are you on? Do you see yourself in the very people that the Bible tells us to guard against? If you were honest, would you say, that pretty much describes my life? And if so, the Bible is calling you off of the wrong path onto the right path. Jesus, picking up on the doctrine of the two ways, said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And this day, recognizing that you are on the broad road, you can turn to the narrow way. And I invite you to come to Jesus today. Cast yourself upon his mercy. Ask him to save you for mercy's sake. And he has said, he that comes to me, I will not cast out. And then for those of us who know the Lord, if a professor at Moody Bible Institute can gradually go down the wrong path, so can you. So can I. We are like fish swimming in a fish tank who don't even realize that they live in water because they're so used to it. And we live in a world that has changed so very much we often can't even see how it has seeped into our lives. And so this psalm calls us to discernment, to watchfulness, to carefulness, to being oriented to the great truths of Scripture. And this morning, we simply need to ask, Lord, am I being influenced by the world or by the word? And I will adjust as you show me. Thank you, Father, for this opening psalm, the two roads of Psalm 1. It is all throughout the Psalms, all throughout the Bible, for our good, for our well-being, for our blessedness.
For Jesus' sake we ask it. Amen.